guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter nine, we looked at three different plagues, the plagues upon the cattle. And that was the plague which killed all the cattle that were in the field. We looked at the boils, the sores and blisters, the festering blisters that came upon all of the Egyptians. And we looked at the hail which destroyed the barley and the flax. And what we want to recall again is how that there is increasing intensity in each of these particular plagues, how that they got worse and worse. And also in these plagues that God was sending, it was also a strike against the gods of Egypt. That is, each plague was a strike against a particular or particular gods, because oftentimes there were more than one because Egypt had many gods and so many. Sometimes I even forget those guys, my own self, but they had many gods and each plague was God's hand, the true God hand against these idol gods to say to Egypt, as well as to all the world that Yahweh. And that's what you see in the in the Bible when the capital L.O.R.D. in all caps, the Lord that is using his personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh alone is God and the rest of these gods, the gods of the Gentiles, the gods of the world, the gods of Egypt are no gods at all. And therefore, God proves his existence, power and dominance over any other God through the destructions that he is sending upon Egypt. So all of these plagues are always associated with some God. And sometimes I do forget. I think it was in the very last plague, the plague of the hell. I forgot to name the particular gods. And so let me do so now. It was against Newt, who was a sky goddess, as well as a goddess of the sky. Osiris, goddess of the crops, crops and fertility. Because remember, the last plague of hell destroyed the barley and the flag. So it was against uh, those, uh, I'm sorry, against Osiris. And then finally, Set. And Set was considered to be a, a storm or a desert God, God who would control things that come out of the desert, the storm and things associated with nature. And so this was that last plague that we discussed. And I forgot to tell you guys about those idol gods of Egypt that God used to strike the hell against. OK, now with that, as we move into chapter 10, we want to keep in mind increasing intensity and nationwide spread of all of these plagues, how it strikes all of the land of Egypt. OK, so now let's get into our eighth and ninth plague, Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may perform these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your daughter and your grandson how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. And I, let me stop here. And I know that chapter 10 can be very narrative, a little extensive within itself, but it's not so it's not a lot of difficulty involved. But there are some things that we do need to see. OK, as we prepare to move into these next 
uh, series of plagues. And actually, we are in the third and final series of plagues. Remember, the plagues were divided basically into three series. Okay. And as we get, get ready to move into this, as we are already in, I'm sorry, guys, this third series of plagues, God tells Moses ahead of time that he has already hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Now, go back and look at the previous video that I did in chapter nine concerning God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart and the issue of uh, judicial hardening, the principle of judicial hardening and reaching a point of no return. But anyway, so that you can be refreshed in all of this thing. Remember during these events, uh, so like a challenge per se with Moses and Aaron against Pharaoh and his magicians, there were times in which Pharaoh would harden his own heart and God would harden Pharaoh's heart. So we will overall see in a general sense, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart from God in a general sense. However, that did not remove the responsibility from Pharaoh. That is, we would often see in more times than not, Pharaoh would harden his own heart. But once we got to that final plague of hells, and that's what we discussed at the end of chapter nine, once that particular plague happened and Pharaoh hardened his heart after all of these events, the preceding plague events, God judicially hardened Pharaoh's heart. In other words, Pharaoh had reached a point of no return where he could no longer harden his own heart, but God from this point forward would harden Pharaoh's heart so that Pharaoh would have no other choice. Pharaoh no longer had a choice. And so therefore what you will see in the remainder of these plagues, it is not Pharaoh hardening his heart. It is God hardening Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh has reached a point of no return where God himself simply says, since you have refused me, since you have rejected all of the signs and wonders that I have given you thus far, since you have decided to harden your heart against me, I have seconded your motion your heart will be hardened against me. I'm going to do it and you can no longer change your mind. And here God gives the reason again so that Pharaoh and Egypt will see the signs and wonders that God will perform upon Egypt. All of these things declaring that God alone, that Yahweh apart, not the gods of Egypt, Yahweh is God. And God also, we're back into the commentary here. God also is saying that he has hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he can perform these signs, not only that Egypt may know, but also that the Israelites will know that God, Yahweh, their God alone is God. And that this should be recounted. The events of what God is doing to Egypt shall be recounted to the successive generations of Israelites, to Moses's and the Israelites' sons and their grandsons. That's what he means by their sons and grandsons. The successive generations to follow. And this prepares us this prepares us, and I know I'm being a little premature, but we're getting a lot of insight through chapter 10 in preparation for chapters 11 and 12. That is 
the death of the firstborn of Egypt and also the recounting of this great uh, God's hand of power in all of the plagues and finally the striking of the firstborn of Egypt. We're getting prepared for the retelling of all of these things in what would be known as the celebration of the Passover and how in this celebration, the Israelites will recount their slavery and God's great hand of deliverance through striking Egypt with all of the plagues. Okay. And I'm not going to go any further than that. But anyway, so he says, I'm doing this so that the Egyptians will know that I am God so that the Israelites and their successive generations will know that I am God and retell this story to your children, successive generations. Three, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the surface of the land so that no one will be able to see the land. They will also eat the rest of what has escaped, what is left to you from the hell. And they will eat every tree which sprouts for you out of the field. Okay, then your houses shall be filled and your houses of all of your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, something which neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day that they came upon the earth until this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Okay, so now Moses again returns to Pharaoh with the threat that God has spoken into his ear to tell the Pharaoh to let the people go. And if Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, he will send locusts upon the land. And so when he goes to Pharaoh, the first thing that he says to Pharaoh is how long will he refuse to be obstinate, to be arrogant before the Lord, refuse to humble himself before Yahweh. Now, this is really a strike to Pharaoh himself, because remember now, Pharaoh was considered by the Egyptians to be a God. So for Moses to come and say to Pharaoh to humble yourself before Yahweh, this desert God of the Hebrews, it was a strike against the arrogance of Pharaoh. But nevertheless, he says, how long? How long, how many times shall God strike Egypt over and over? And if you refuse, or should I say, if you continue in your arrogant rebellion against Yahweh, not to let the people go, he will strike you again with locusts. And, and the threat of the locusts will be in verse number five, as he said, they will eat the rest of what was not destroyed by the hell. Remember now, two things, I, let me say it here. We have to remember that all of these plagues that are hidden in Egypt are not localized. They are nationwide. So the economy of Egypt as a whole is being destroyed. What did the hell destroy? The hell destroyed the early crops of the barley and the flax. It's completely destroyed. So any food source that the Egyptians would derive from the barley and the flax is gone. Remember, the Red Sea was turned earlier in the first plague into blood. What happened to the fish? All of the fish died. 
so that the source of food that would be derived from fish have been destroyed. The barley and the flax have been destroyed by the hell. And now God, he threatens to destroy the remainder. That is the wheat, the wheat that will, would come about the wheat that is left. That is the later on uh, rising production of agriculture. It will be destroyed by the locusts. And he promises that the locusts that will come upon the land will be such that has never been seen in all of Egypt before. Point in this is this is talking about number one, locusts have come upon the land of Egypt before. So that's nothing new. But the destruction that will be sent here is to prove it is the hand of God. It is a supernatural coming upon the locusts in that it is something that has never been seen before and never will be seen again. And so much that the land itself will be covered with locusts. Now, I don't want to get too far into the actual happening of that. Let me talk about that later on. But here we have a threat of the destruction, almost in a sense of the remainder of the food economy of Egypt. Okay. And so that's what, what God is literally threatening here. And the locusts not only would destroy the food, but he also says like the frogs were in the houses of the Egyptians, the locusts, they'll not only be on the trees and all over the field, they're going to be in all of the houses of the Egyptians. And what we also have to assume is the, the, the point that God made earlier about setting a division between Goshen, where the Israelites were, were residing, and Egypt, the Egyptians, where they themselves are residing, God will continue to make a distinction. There will not be any locusts in the land of Goshen. They will be reserved for Egypt. And he also sets, as Moses is before the Pharaoh, he says again, tomorrow this will strike you. And, and here's our point, our continuing point, so that he will know this is not incidental. This is not a perchance by Moses predicting, setting the date for the time that this will happen. You know, without a shadow of a doubt, this is God. So how do you know the number of locusts? It will be unprecedented what they will destroy and the time that it will come upon the land. Tomorrow, you know that this is Yahweh and okay, we'll talk about that at the end. I'm going to try not to forget the gods of Egypt that were struck in all of these things. But now let's go on. So Moses turned away and left from Pharaoh. Verse seven, Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long would this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord, their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh and he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, we shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we shall go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, thus may the Lord be with you, if ever I let you and your little ones go, take heed for evil is in your mind. Not so. Go now, the men among you, 
and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Okay, so now what we have happening in verse number, what is it? Verse number seven. As Moses has predicted the locusts coming and the devastation that the locusts would leave behind. Remember, uh, Pharaoh's magicians who also served to the Pharaoh as counselors. They, before the plague even hits, they already believe Moses. And so they began to counsel Pharaoh and say to Pharaoh now, and, and which, okay, let me just take my time. And they say to Pharaoh, listen, let the Hebrews go. Don't you realize that Egypt has been destroyed? So what I want to bring to your attention is this. Number one is they considered Pharaoh to be a God. Pharaoh's counselors, the Egyptian magicians. And so for them to speak to Pharaoh shows how that they have reached. They themselves are exasperated with this continuing battle with Moses and Moses is God. And so they now speak to Pharaoh. Uh, uh, you, you're really taking your lives into your own hands. But they're simply saying to Pharaoh, man, wake up and smell the coffee. Moses and his God have already destroyed Egypt with all of the plagues that have come up on Egypt. If he now strikes Egypt with this plague of locusts, it's, it's, it's completely over. We will not survive this plague. And that's what they're doing. They're saying to Pharaoh, listen, don't let him do this. Is Egypt is destroyed and it's a dangerous thing to speak to Pharaoh this way. But the reason why I'm stressing it is let you see they themselves under, they believe what Moses is saying and the God of Moses, even though they won't turn from their idols, they still believe it. But nevertheless, they don't want to suffer this devastation. So what do they do? They counsel Pharaoh, call for Moses. Pharaoh sends for Moses and Aaron. And when he sends for Moses and Aaron, he says, OK, fine. You want to go and worship your God? Go and worship your God. Tell me who is going with you. And so Moses simply says, everybody is going. We are all leaving Egypt. Our young, our old, that means our elderly, our children, all of them are leaving Egypt. And then Pharaoh says to Moses, not so all of you won't leave Egypt. I'll permit you to go and worship your God, but the men only leave the children here. And all Pharaoh is simply doing is he is creating a latch. He is making sure that he's maintaining the slaves. That's all he's doing by keeping the children there. But he is maintaining that when the men go off to worship Yahweh in the wilderness, they must return to Egypt. So therefore, all the Pharaoh is doing is he's keeping them as slaves. He is refusing to let them go. And so now let me slow it down a, a little bit, too. So Moses simply says, we got to go with our young and with our old. Pharaoh does not want this. And what he says in verse number 10 is this. And here's what I want to address. So let's do a little scholastic addressing of a particular issue here. He says, take heed for evil is in your mind. Now, there are some who believe that this translation is not a uh, not a good translation here in verse number 10. So actually what he says here, 
is this. Ra'u ki ra'a neged panekem. Ra'u ki ra'a neged panekem. So I've looked at this. Now, what some say, believe that this translation is actually saying, where Pharaoh is saying is, and this translation is not proper, is what he was saying. Uh, Take heed for my God, Ra, is better than you. So where it says, see, see that before your face, uh, uh, Ra is before your face. And that's what some is trying to say. Some believe that he is saying, my God, Ra, is greater than your God, uh, your God, Yahweh. So he is still uh, inducing that contest between the God of Moses, Yahweh, and his God, Ra. And some see where he says that instead of saying evil is before you, that he is saying Ra, that's that word evil, Ra is before you, okay? They're, th- they're saying that he should have, their translators should have interpreted this as my God, Ra is before better than your God. Now, in looking at the text, I don't agree with that. I believe that uh, the translation here is proper when he says evil is before you. And what he means is not so much as my God raw is better than your God. But the idea that he is trying to say is that the evil that is before you is you are intending to leave and never come back. So therefore you want to take your young and your old and all of the cattle with you because you don't just want to simply go to a feast and, and do a sacrifice to the Lord, your God in the wilderness. What your intention is to leave and go permanently from Egypt. And that's what I think he means when he says evil is before us. And not that he is simply saying that Ra is greater. Okay, so all right, that's enough of that little scholastic ep- uh, uh, exercise here. But now let's go on with the commentary. And so he says, so he uh, uh, tells them he drives them from his presence. We're back in verse number eleven. Okay, and so he says, fine. You wanted to, your intention initially was to go and serve your God in the wilderness. Fine. Take the men only, not the children, and go and serve the Lord your God in the wilderness. And he drives them from his presence. So what I want you to see here in verse number 11 is this, the driving from his presence. Okay. Remember all the while what you've been seeing with Pharaoh in all of his, and here's again, another compromise, the fourth compromise, I believe it is of Pharaoh. I think it's number four in the compromising, but it relates all the way back to Pharaoh's resistance to let them go. So notice as Moses came to him first, initially the water and the blood whole scenario, the staff thing, remember turning the staff into the serpent. He is adamant not to let the children of Israel go. But notice as the plagues strike, you see him beginning to, to, to compromise and he's kind of getting a little bit willing to let them go. And then here you see him driving Moses from his presence. I'm saying all of that to say that how God said this, that when you to Moses from the very beginning, when you go to Pharaoh to tell him to let them go, he won't be willing to let them go 
But when I'm through with Pharaoh, he's not going to simply let you go. He's going to drive you from his presence. So now we can see here as Pharaoh is driving Moses and Aaron from his presence to let the men go, only the men worship that that sense of it is now being realized as Pharaoh is beginning where God has said about him drive from the press. So we see a sense of that beginning to happen. Okay. So let's continue. Verse number 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant of the land, even all that the hell has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt and the Lord directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. The locusts came up, up over all the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. They had, there had never been so many locusts nor would there be so many again for they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hell had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Okay. So since Pharaoh was refusing to let the people go, all of them, including the children. Moses ran, not, not so much as ran, but they drove him from the presence of Pharaoh. And thus God tells Moses, fine, lift your hand to the sky. So Moses raised his hand with his staff in his hand. He brought forth the locusts upon the land of Egypt. And all that day and night, God sent an east wind which carried the locusts into Egypt. And in the morning when the Egyptians rose, the land was the ground, that is the ground. And imagine the ground and the trees had so many locusts, you could not see the ground. And therefore, because the ground and the trees were so full of locusts, it made a certain darkness upon all the ground. And as the locusts were upon all the trees and all the ground, it ate every fruit of the tree. Do you understand? Do you feel the devastation that's taking place to Egypt as all the fruit trees, every single thing, the locusts are just and eating and devouring and all remember the wheat that was yet to come. Now the wheat has come. And so, and, and everything that the hell did not destroy, guess what? Now the locusts are eating all of it up. And now can't, okay, what do you have? devastation of the agriculture. It will produce hunger and starvation, <clears throat> a hunger and starvation that was already setting upon Egypt because the hell had destroyed. The hell had already destroyed so much agriculture. And now you have this and this is what the magicians and the counselors of Pharaoh were worried about. They said, please, Pharaoh, let the people go. 
because we cannot survive if this thing should happen. But nevertheless, the locust said, and notice, supernatural event. The locust that came upon Egypt was such that never had been seen before and it will never be seen again, which lets us see the uniqueness of this plague miracle. The uniqueness is what? It will never happen again. It kind of takes your mind back to Genesis six through seven, six, seven and eight actually, when we saw the flood waters that came upon the whole world. It was a flood that had never taken place ever before and will never happen again. That uniqueness of that judgment. And this is the same semblance that we have a uniqueness in judgment of locusts that came upon Egypt that will never happen again. We will see another similarity that will take place. And I probably shouldn't have told you guys that, but nevertheless in the book of Amos that will happen upon Israel. But we are talking here about Egypt. But anyway, so now let's look at the response of Pharaoh to this thing. Verse number 16, then Pharaoh hurriedly called Moses and Aaron. And he said, I have sinned against the Lord, your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and make supplication to the Lord, your God, that he would only remove this death from me. He went out from Pharaoh and made supplication to the Lord. So the Lord shifted the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust was left in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the sons of Israel go. All right. So now let's talk about Pharaoh's response. Once the locusts have come. So, as the land has been devastated in totality, because that's what we basically have with the locusts. Total devastation now. It is now complete to all the land. He hurriedly sends for Moses and Aaron and he tells him, once again, this devastation makes Pharaoh acknowledge his own sin. That is that he has not been acting in good faith. Because remember, he said, he, let him go. He won't let them go. He tries to compromise. Moses refuses any compromise whatsoever. God strikes Pharaoh's now. Now look, look at the God of Egypt. That is Pharaoh who is supposed to be either Horus or the, the one of the son of Horus. Horus is a God of Egypt. Okay. Related to one of the sun gods, the highest deity of Egypt. Now look at this sun God begging Moses and saying, please uh, get your God to remove this plague of locusts and notice what Pharaoh calls it. This death from me. Now, the reason why I want to deal with that part is as we are moving in all of these plagues, Notice from the plague of the blood, even until this one now with the locusts and the intensity, how it devastates Egypt, how it has been a plague on the bodies of the Egyptians. And they have been suffering in all of these plagues, but we have not, there's been nothing in the scripture to speak of the Egyptians dying in all of the plagues. There has nothing been spoken of people being struck to death. We haven't seen that, but everything has been building up to this point. And notice how Pharaoh calls the plague of locusts 
plague this death from me. Okay. So my whole point, all of this is simply building up to that very point. And that's why chapter 10 has a certain beauty to it. It, it kind of speaks prophetically to what everything is building up. What death? Because when this is over with, even in the eighth plague, locust, ninth plague, we're going to find that will be darkness. But the 10th plague, death, it is all building up to death. But anyway, let's go back. So he begs Moses. He begs Moses, as the old folk would say in the South, he begs God's pardon and he begs Moses' pardon. <laughs> Ask Moses. Prayed that God would remove it from him and that he and that Moses went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And like many times usual, he prayed unto God and God removed the plague of locusts to the point that all of the locusts were removed from Egypt and Egypt did not have a single locust left. OK, again, let's look at the point, the miracle. OK, we are now at a point where Pharaoh knows it's not a doubt. There's not even really a contest that Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Moses and Aaron is truly God. But nevertheless, God still is giving him empirical evidence. What happens? The locusts came in such a degree that they had never seen before devastated Egypt to a point that Egypt has never seen and experienced before. And in the morning, in the next day, can you imagine this with the locusts? Remember how numerous they were? You could not see the ground. Imagine you look down on the ground and you can't even see it. I cannot imagine that on the ground, in people's homes, on all the trees, all of them. And the very next day, you don't even see a single one. Not a single one. God sends a powerful as the wind from the east brought the locusts. God sends a powerful wind that comes from the west and takes every single one of them out. That is power. That is Yahweh, the God of Moses. OK, but nevertheless, in all of these things, remember, the point of the plagues is that Pharaoh may let them go. But look at verse number 20. What did we say? We are now in the stage of judicial hardening. God, the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. What? Final point here. Pharaoh from the time of the plague of the hells. We talked about that earlier has reached a point of no return. No matter what happens to him, he does not have the will, the wherewithal to change his mind. Why? God will not let Pharaoh's mind be changed. Pharaoh has no other choice. He gonna, he's going to hold those slaves because God has hardened his heart. And God is saying, you cannot change your mind. You've resisted me up to this point. Now you can no longer change your mind. Pharaoh has no will to change his mind. The Lord hardens his heart. And this continues until the death of the firstborn of Egypt. Okay. And I know that's premature, but what you have to see is this. And I don't want to do a lot of preaching on this. When you do resist God and God has spoken to you time and time again, you will reach a point 
of discipline. And now Egypt is disciplined. Pharaoh is discipline of God. Okay, now let's finish this last uh, plague in chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back before I get there. <laughs> uh, concerning the striking of the locusts, which deity, which gods of Egypt did they strike? Okay. This was a strike against Newt and Newt was a sky goddess. Okay. Was the sky goddess, um, a female deity of Egypt. Okay. Goddess of the sky as related to the winds that came, that brought the locusts in. All right. Newt. This was also against Osiris. Osiris was a God of crops and fertility. So crops and fertility. So as the locusts ate up the crops. So in other words, neither Newt, the sky goddesses, nor Osiris, goddess of crops and fertility, could prevent the locusts from destroying the remaining crops of Egypt. All right. So now let's go into this ninth plague, darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwelling. Now, let me just simply stop there. As we move into the ninth plague, the ninth plague strikes without warning, just like the third and the sixth plague. So what am I saying? The third plague, the sixth plague, and here the ninth plague struck Egypt without warning. Moses did not go to Pharaoh and say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. If you don't, he will send darkness. That's what it means by without warning. Moses didn't do that. Just like the third and the sixth plague, God just struck. I think the third was with the gnats and the sixth plague was with the boils. They just came without any warning whatsoever. Here is the ninth plague, the darkness. Now concerning that darkness, it was unique in that the darkness. And again, this was supernatural and exaggerated in the extreme. That's what you have to see about the plagues. It was just in, it was insane what was actually happening. M marvelous, miraculous. The darkness could be felt. Now, let us pause just for a minute. Maybe one of you can explain to me, how can you feel darkness? I've been in places, I've actually shut myself in dark places just to see how dark could things be. This is the total absence of any light. How can it be so dark that you can feel the darkness? You know, I've heard some say that this may have been because of some kind of a sandstorm. I don't agree. This is not a This is nothing that is coming about by any form of natural event. The point of the plagues is they are supernatural from the hand of God. And also, too, some have said maybe this is a possible eclipse wrong again, 
because if this was an eclipse, it would affect all of Egypt. Remember what it just said. The land of Goshen was not affected. They had light. So if it was an eclipse, it would affect all of Egypt and Goshen where the Israelites lived was a part of Egypt. But notice this darkness only affected the dwellings of the Egyptians. The people of Israel and Goshen lived in a separate place, part, part of Egypt. Okay. So according to this plague, this darkness, the overwhelming power of it, it was so dark that you could feel it. The darkness was on the land of Egypt for three days. They could see nothing in Egypt in so much that the people simply sat in place. And it makes sense. You can't see a doggone thing. So ain't, ain't nowhere for you to go. You can't go when you can't see nothing. So the, and you can also too imagine as this darkness and this is a beautiful thing. As this darkness, this thick gloom, pervading darkness is on the land and people's heart is in fear of not only what is happening, what is about to happen because all kinds of crazy stuff go through your mind when you are in absolute darkness. So you can imagine the fear that's gripping and the apprehension of the people sitting there in total darkness for three days, wondering what will happen next. And that is the very idea of this pervading darkness. What, what, because we know the worst thing of all will happen next after this ninth plague. Okay. So what happened? The point darkness in Egypt for three whole days and in Israel, I'm sorry, <laughs> amongst the Israelites in Goshen, another part of Egypt light again, absolute supernatural power of God. I cannot imagine that they have regular daylight as if nothing happens. Let's look at the response of Pharaoh in this one. Verse number 24. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be detained. Even your little ones may go with you. But Moses said, you must also let us have, have sacrifices and burn offerings that we may sacrifice them to the Lord, our God. Therefore, our livestock too shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind for we shall take some of them to serve the Lord, our God. And until we arrive there, we ourselves do not know with what we shall serve the Lord. Okay. So now let's look, let's stop there. Look at the response of Pharaoh again. No doubt he's dumbstruck by this one too. And so he now sends for Moses and says, fine, go serve the Lord, your God. And now you can take your children. Because remember in the prayer of the locusts, right before that one, he told Moses, leave the children behind. Notice the, the whole point again, intensity, how it's striking Egypt and Pharaoh is negotiating. Now he begins to concede with Mo to Moses and says, fine, you want to take your children, take them, but don't take your animals. Uh, now there are two possible reasons here. He's probably trying to maintain this hook. 
uh, for the Jewish slaves by keeping their livestock in the land of Goshen, they got, they got to return. So keeping them as slaves, that's what he's ultimately trying to do. Keep them as slaves. So you go, but you, your animals got to stay here. And Moses again, no, sir. Moses won't give an inch. He says, Moses simply, okay. The second thing too, what is possible in his mind. Remember the livestock, remember the livestock that, that were in the field that were killed by the plague of, uh, that came up on the livestock and killed all the livestock in the field. There is also a possibility here in the mind of Pharaoh to replenish the livestock of Egypt by saying, let your livestock stay here. So that's <laughs> a possibility of what's going on. Fine. You can go leave your livestock, possibly a hook for them to return and possibly replenish the livestock that was devastated in the plague upon the Egyptian livestock. But nevertheless, the response of Moses was, we don't, we have to sacrifice to God. We don't know with what, how much sacrifice we may do to God. So therefore Moses is saying, we can't leave our livestock because we got to make a sacrifice with these livestock. And he remember earlier, Pharaoh had said unto Moses that they could sacrifice there uh, uh, in the land of Goshen. And Moses rejected that as well. But here, let me, so we can finish chapter 10, Moses is simply saying, we will not leave our livestock because we need them to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Okay, now let's finish this. Uh, uh, verse number 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Say it again. That's what we've been saying all the while. And he was not willing to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Beware, do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you are right. I shall never see your face again. Okay, so when Moses has been brought to Pharaoh, after this whole thing of the plague of locusts, Pharaoh was willing to concede, and, uh, but only to the point that he keep the animals. Moses told him, no. And Pharaoh is now at the point where he is fed up with Moses. He is fed up with all of these plagues. And so he tells Moses, he said, fine. Uh, no, the Lord hardened his heart. He tells Moses, no, the Lord hardens his heart. No is the response. Again, the response. And I've made this for the third time concerning chapter 10. Point of no return. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh has no choice. So this is not simply Pharaoh acting in his own will. This is God. That's why early as he told us in chapter 10, I'm hardening his heart so that I can display my power so that the Egyptians may know that I am God. The world may know that I am God. The Israelite people will know that I am God. Pharaoh has no choice. God hardens his heart. And then in anger, Pharaoh warns Moses and tell Moses, be careful that you don't see my face ever again. Cause the day you see me again, I will put you to death. You will surely die. 
I will have you, Moses. I will have you executed. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of your God. I'm sick of these plagues. And I'm going to bring this mess to an end because I'm going to take your life, Moses. So don't come before me ever again. And so Moses retaliates in fearlessness. Moses is no longer afraid of the Pharaoh like he was before when he ran away. And Moses and I can see Moses looking Pharaoh straight in his eyes and says, you have spoken correctly. I won't see your face again. But now what Moses means by this is this. As far as this wrangling to let the people go, I won't see your face again to tell you to let the people go. Why? Because we know in Exodus chapter 12, Pharaoh will send again for Moses when he's telling Moses, don't you come see my face again? Oh, yeah. Pharaoh himself will send for Moses and tell Moses, take your people, take your livestock, take everything out of Egypt and get out. Don't ever come back. Pharaoh will see him again. So Moses is not saying you won't see my face again. But what Moses is simply saying is this. As far as this negotiation junk that we've that we've been doing here. No, sir. This will never happen again. Why? Because the next time Moses sees the face of Pharaoh, Pharaoh will drive them, their cattle, their children. All negotiations are over and he will drive them out. Okay. Thanks for joining me there <laughs> in chapter 10. The next time that we come back in chapter 11, God is going to prepare Moses and the Israelites people for the last and final plague that will hit Egypt. It will be a devastation that Egypt had never experienced before. And when God strikes Egypt with the last plague, the 10th plague, it will be the death of the firstborn. But before we go here, let me go one more time. The gods of Egypt that were struck in the plague of darkness. It was the God Ra, the chiefest of the Egyptian deities. Ra was the sun God. And remember in this ninth plague, it was darkness, a strike against the sun. Ra, it was a strike against Ra, a strike against Horus. Horus was also a sun God. Pharaoh was sometimes referred to as Horus or a son of Horus, a sun god. So Pharaoh was referred to as a sun god himself. And it was also a strike against Hathor. And Hathor was a sky goddess. She was a sky goddess. A strike of Ra, a strike against Ra, a strike against Horus, and a strike against Hathor. Strike against the gods of Egypt. All right. But thanks, guys, for joining me with that. Join me next time as we get into chapter 11 and we bring to a completion. We get ready to bring to a completion the final plague upon the Egyptians. See you then.